All right. Jason Flom is our guest this week on Occupational Therapy. Um, and Zach, my uh, co-host here, can tell you exactly what this show is all about. And then I'll do a little bit of an intro with uh, Jason. Jason, uh, Jared's my good friend. He obviously created Jingle Punks and turned this huge business uh, into a, you know, incredible career. However, now he's got a two-year, uh, what's it called? It's called a lockout. Lockout from making jingles. And, you know, for the guy who's the king of jings, to not be able to make jingles, he needs to find a second career. Uh, so we've, you know, been going to some of the cream of the crop in every industry, trying to see just what Jared would be good at doing. We've talked to restaurateurs. We're going to talk to actors, writers, you know, comedians, uh, and people like you who do very interesting things. So as Jared's sort of occupational therapist, I want to make sure he gets put in a position where he can thrive and be happy doing what he's doing in his next career choice. And Jason, yeah, you are one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And Jason is like a two sport athlete. Some people <laughs> would say, am I talking to him because I want to learn to be a record executive? No, his, it seems like that's just, he does that in his sleep. It's easy for him to break big bands. But what I became most fascinated with was his uh, prison reform uh, advocacy. And I wanted to know if I have possibly what it takes to, do what he's doing, which is getting uh, some of the most voiceless people in society a voice and actually doing some good in the world. And just to back it up before I even, you know, launch into the episode, one of the most interesting things about Jason is at a time in my life when I was running faster than I've ever run in business and really, really, you know, stressing myself out with my own workload, I invited him to come be a, a guest speaker in my previous business at our offsite. And I thought he was going to come there and talk to us about, you know, Kid Rock or Katy Perry or Lord or any of the other huge bands that he's, you know, broken over the years. But he came with uh, somebody that had just been exonerated and told us this amazing story. And it actually was a pretty transformative moment, not only in the company, in my career, but also um, making me fully uh, aware of the fact that what we do for a living sometimes in the music business is slightly inconsequential and uh, Jason seems to be driven by a bigger purpose. So I wanted to just, you know, actually start into this in all seriousness, Jason is ask you, how did you even get involved in, in this and tell us, you know, your backstory? Yeah. So um, the backstory is, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be a rock star. Um, First, I want to be a professional athlete. And then you know, when I learned that my three-inch vertical jump wasn't going to get me <laughs> into the NBA, um, I have a very Jewish vertical jump. Um, and I decided to pivot to becoming a rock star. But my dad had always told me, and my brother, you know, he gave us this great advice, which I passed on to my kids, which is he said, do whatever you want to do. Try to be the best at it, but just make the world a better place. Because he said that's the only definition of success that matters. And so I wanted to... Uh, be a success in his eyes. So <clears throat> that sort of how that, that's what got me started on. Well, when I, when I realized when I was 18 that I was never going to be the biggest rock star and I happened to get an intern job at Atlantic records, I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And maybe I could be the best at this. Cause I was around the same time the first Van Halen record came out and I was like, okay, it's preposterous for me to continue playing the guitar. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, um, but then what happened was, you know, after I'd had, a considerable amount of success in the music industry. Um, 
I realized, uh, when, well, I didn't realize anything, a, a sort of a crazy serendipitous synchronous, synchronicitous occurrence happened, which was that, which is sort of a big part of my whole story, which was that I happened to be on my way to play tennis one day of all things. And I wanted to buy a newspaper to read in the taxi. I would normally buy the Times, but it was sold out. So I picked up the news, I think it was Daily News or the Post. And there was a story about a guy named Stephen Lennon. Um, the headline was Ferraro bid for cocaine kid parole or something like that. I still have the story somewhere. And basically, it was a story of a kid named Stephen Lennon who had been sentenced to 15 years to life for nonviolent first offense cocaine possession charge. And he was serving the sentence in a maximum security prison in New York State. And his mother had been trying to get clemency from Governor Mario, the first Cuomo. Mm -hmm. And um, she had gotten support from uh, letters of support from the warden, the judge who sentenced him, um, the, and then Geraldine Ferraro had even written a letter on behalf of her son when she learned of the case. So <clears throat> Cuomo turned it down. That's why it made the newspaper. And I read this story, and I just freaked out because the kid was 32, same age as me. And I just thought, wow, you know, I'd had, drug I'd had substance abuse problems as a kid. I'd been in the wrong place at the wrong time many times, and I just thought that could have been me. So I decided I had to do something about it if I could, and I didn't know enough to know that it was almost impossible. Hmm. So, I just, so, I, so I tried, and I, and I succeeded. And um, I ended up, uh, long story short, you know, getting a, the only criminal defense lawyer I knew, a guy named Bob Kalina, who um, represented Stone Temple Pilots and Skid Row, which were both my artists, and they were getting arrested like twice a week. <laughs> you know? You remember that. So I had him on speed dial. So um, I got Bob to take the case pro bono. And six months later, we ended up in a courtroom in Malone, New York. And, you know, Bob made his arguments and the state made their arguments. And the judge banged the gavel down and sent the kid home. And I was like, holy fuck, that's the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. Wow. And that's what got me started on this crazy whirlwind of a, of a you know, obsession. And the interesting thing, Zach, is when I uh, met Jason, like we've had, we, we've sort of circled around each other in some weird, you know, business things for years. And we're, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because many people in business are like so short sighted. And it's like when the one thing doesn't work, they're just like, okay, PC down the road. Jason and I continue to like crack at different things that we're doing. But what was interesting is I come to his office one day to talk about this thing that we were working on, what it was. It's not important, but he, I don't even sometimes have time in my day to like eat lunch if I'm not like hovered over my computer or like sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of not even, you know, FaceTiming my kids or calling them, but he took a solid 30 to 45 minutes to review parole letters at his desk as a busy music executive and Jason, how many times a week are you reading this meticulous amount of documents and just making sure that you even have the right, you know, people that you're, that you're, um, you know, backing and trying to support here to make sure that you're not being led down a path. Um, you know, how do you know what to take on and how much work to put in? I don't <laughs> I have no, there's no method to my madness. Um, you know, I work with, a variety of organizations, as you know. Um, I was the first board member of the Innocence Project, so my fancy title is founding board member. Not to be confused with founder, I'm absolutely not the founder of the Innocence Project, but I was the first uh, person to join their board. And so, um, 
uh, you know, so I work in different capacities because I serve on the boards of the Innocence Project and Families Against Mandatory Minimums and, um, you know, the, the various, the NYU Prison Education Program and so, and, and other, other organizations too, that, um, and I encourage people to go to the websites like innocenceproject.org or FAMM, which is Families Against Mandatory Minimums.org. And so I work as a board member, um, you know, helping with various aspects of those, uh, the missions of those organizations. But then um, I also take on these cases as Jared, you know, happened to be in the office when I was working on some of them. You know, people hit me up because of the success of my podcast, especially, right? So I have a podcast called Wrongful Conviction, which has been as high as number three on the podcast charts on Apple. Um, it's an amazing podcast, by the way, if anyone hasn't heard it and Jason's building a brand around that where it's not just, you know, uh, one, uh, show, it's going to be multiple sets of shows right around the wrongful conviction brand, Jason. Yeah, we now have, a we have, a uh, our first sort of offshoot, which is called false confessions, um, which is wrongful conviction, false confessions, uh, which has also been doing really well. And then we're going to be having launching some other podcasts in a similar space. So, um, yeah, so the podcast is Wrongful Conviction. And since that has achieved this level of success, naturally the volume of, of people hitting me up has grown. Um, so I have, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to juggle. But, um, you know, I try to... Uh, you know, on the cases I get involved with as a private citizen, individual, not in my capacity as a board member or anything else, um, you know, I, I can't really say why the ones that I take on, I take on. I take as many as I can that look like they are, uh, you know, cases of, of gross injustice. And sometimes I'm able to connect the dots either by, um, for instance, there's one right now that I'm working on um, in California um, that, that came to me through Instagram or wherever. Um, and this one is a guy who hasn't been convicted yet, but he's, he certainly appears to be in jail for a murder he didn't commit. All indications are that that is the case. And so in this case, we're just, I, I connected him with the right attorneys, uh, helped them raise the money, and uh, I believe that we are going to win a trial and that he will you know, be spared this awful fate of getting a 25 years to life or whatever sentence. So um, this is the first time I've actually worked on it on that level. But generally speaking, there are people who have been convicted who either like the Stephen Lennon guy, the first guy I told you about, you know, he was guilty, but it was just preposterous that he was serving 15 to life for a nonviolent first offense cocaine possession. Mm -hmm. It's insane. So, so a lot of the cases I work on are people who are, uh, who may not be innocent, but whose sentences do not make any logical sense uh, um, for the crime that they committed. And, um, what's the reason, you know, you've also, you know, told us instances of where people are, you know, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, upstanding, you know, members of, of a community and they get tossed away for something else, but that's still equally horrific. You know, if somebody's, you know, dealing drugs, you know, obviously not great, but then they get put away for a murder. Do you see a lot of cases like that? And what, what, what states have you seen this happen the most in where it's like systematic, uh, you know, abuse of the criminal justice system? Um, well, yeah, I was actually, we were talking about a case like that this morning. 
Um, this morning I was on, I gave a guest lecture by Zoom um, to a Georgetown class of uh, an undergraduate pre-law uh, students. Um, and we talked about a case just like that, where a guy you know, who was involved in the drug trade got framed for a murder he didn't commit. Um, and there are certainly a lot of those cases where, you know, you're around that lifestyle and, you know, you just become an easy target if, you know, you know, somebody, somebody calls up and says, you know, they want a Crime Stoppers reward or, you know, Crime Stoppers, right? It's interesting. Seems like a great thing on paper. Yeah. You know, to have this, uh, and I don't want to pick on Crime Stoppers particularly, there's a lot of these different things, but, you know, this whole idea of a reward for information. Mm-hmm. You know, it can lead to the right information, but it can just as easily lead to the lead to the wrong information, right? Because people have all sorts of motives to want to get paid, and it, it, we've seen a lot of wrongful convictions based on people, you know, looking just just trying to get some money. Cash they'll, in. Some, they'll sell somebody down the river. It's terrible. Wow. Um, uh, here's my. I have a question for you. you. I mean, you have this successful career in music, and then you get this young man out of jail was that like your turning point where you like you know what i'm ready to leave this behind do you still work with musicians at all or mm-hmm. have you just strictly dedicated your life to this now he's actually i'll i'll answer that one for him he's still a big mucker in in music very big but uh, jason you know you can answer part two of that one you know in terms of where you prioritize um yeah so it's it's a great question and um you know, I'm able to, to, to balance it out pretty well. Um, I definitely still spend, um, you know, a big portion of my time on music stuff because it's how I make my living. And, you know, when I was like 43, 44, and I sold my company, and I had some, you know, for the first time I had money that would make me comfortable, you know, for where I wouldn't have to work, um, you know, I... I I thought, well, maybe I should just quit doing this and devote my life full time to the other stuff. But then I thought that's irresponsible because if I can work and I have the ability to make money, then I should make money. And then I can donate, um, you know, some of that money to help with these causes that I care so much about. And it would be, I, I felt like it would be egotistical for me to say, oh, I'm so, I'm so remarkably adept that I can go and make a bigger difference by, you know, volunteering at one of these organizations than I can by paying for yeah. theoretically 10 people who could work um, at one of these places. I want to make a lot of money with Jason one day so that he can just do this full time. I want to like be the guy, I want to be your unicorn where, um, where we just like make insane amount of money. Cause I feel like Jason uh, ultimately would be the happiest if he was, uh, doing this all the time. But one thing I will say is I have, I have a wild imagination, Jason, and I often, you know, in my occupational pursuits, try and stay away from things that I'll get hurt doing, like riding horses, manual labor, or some things that could possibly even land me in a cage for the rest of my life. I have, again, I've watched movies, I've watched films about TV, uh, you know, about, uh, corruption in the, um, world of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, prisons and, and police officers. And it frightens me because I feel like you're someone who's very vocal and adamant about, um, prison reform. Are you ever scared of, uh, going to certain States or are there any things that scare you about this, 
you know, line of work that you've chosen that keeps you up at night? Uh, no, the thing that keeps me up at night are the, some of the stories of the people I can't, haven't been able to help, you know, like, um, there's too many of those and, you know, there are people on death row that we know are innocent in this country. And it, that, that keeps me up at night. Um, I feel like, um, you know, uh, I, I, I feel like, um, yeah, that's the, those are, those are, I guess that answers your question without, without talking in a circle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's still, that's people on death row that you know are innocent. I mean, that's you, you, whenever you read stories like that, it's heartbreaking. How many incidents like that are you aware of? Like just off the top of your head? Oh, I mean, I could name you off the top of my head. I could name you, uh, somewhere between five and 10 people that are wow. demonstrably innocent on death row right now in America. Julius Jones in Oklahoma, Richard Glossop in Oklahoma is a hundred percent innocent. Um, you have this guy in um, Ohio, uh, whose name will come back to me in a minute, who served 30 years on death row. Conviction was overturned by the higher court, went home, started a family. And a year and a half later, the, the, the court said, oh, wait, um, there's a technicality. We're not reversing our decision, but your lawyers didn't file the right papers at the right time. So even though we know now with DNA you're innocent, you still have to go back to death row. Oh my He's God. on death row right now. Oh my um, God. That's an Ohio case. I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you his name in a minute. Um, it's horrible. And then in Texas, you have Rodney Reed is 100% innocent. Rob Will is absolutely innocent on death row. So is Tedrick Batiste. And that doesn't even take into account the innocent people that have recently been executed. Oh, you got in Florida, um, but the case James Daly that my friend yeah. Josh Dubin has been working on is innocent on death row in Florida. He's been there for 35 years. Um, but recently wow. they executed an, an innocent guy in, in Georgia named Donnie Cleveland Lance. Um, I was in touch with his son on the, on the you know, leading up to it. I was doing everything I could to try to prevent it. And his son actually texted me on the night of his father's execution for the murder of his mother that he didn't commit. And his son said, um, you know, uh, you know, that, that we were hoping that the parole board would step in, hoping the Supreme court would step in. Of course, the same thing is true of Nathaniel Woods, who was just executed in Alabama. Absolutely. innocent. no one even claimed that he fired a gun. No one. Um, but anyway, no, with the, are, with now are the, all the, are all these cases, things that uh, are featured on your podcast or are these things that people can research somewhere? Uh, some of them are. Um, Rob Will is one where um, we released that podcast. Yeah, I don't think we've released it yet, um, but we, there is an article in Rolling Stone about his case that I uh, helped to uh, uh, put together. And um, so, I guess the question is, Jared, do you have the passion? Do you have the passion to kind of pursue this well, and help innocent people well, out? I will say part of the thing that appeals to me of what Jason does is also look. He's m- and I hate to use this word, but almost like he's an amazing marketer and an amazing voice. Like he does public speaking. Um, he's also befriended a lot of celebrities that have a bigger megaphone to help do this. Like Jason, tell us a little bit about how, you know, Kim Kardashian or people like Amanda Knox, those friendships have come about or Dr. Phil and helped, you know, uh, the cause of what you're doing. Um, yeah, Amanda Knox has been an amazing, um, you know, presence in my life ever since we first met. I mean, she's just absolutely extraordinary and she's like a little sister to me now. Um, she's been on my podcast as well. And, um, the, um, um, 
Oh God, I forgot Darlie Rudier is an innocent person in Texas, uh, on death row in Texas as well. Um, so yeah, Amanda's just extraordinary. I mean, her, her, um, episode of my podcast is, is brilliant because she's brilliant. And at the end of the, uh, of the show, wrongful conviction, um, you know, I usually, I usually do something called closing arguments where I turn my mic off and let whoever it is just speak their mind on anything they want to talk about. And it's great because it's very um, spontaneous. And uh, she dropped some wisdom that was, uh, I just sat there with like my head spinning because it's so extraordinary what she had to say. So Kim has been great. Um, Kim Kardashian has been great. She, um, she did an episode as well of wrongful conviction. Interestingly, mm -hmm. we found that we have a number of things in common. Both of us had famous fathers who were lawyers or famous lawyers that were fathers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And both of us started our, our, our journey uh, with a mandatory sentencing case, not an innocence case. And both of us got, uh, uh, had a taste of success on our first try. And once, you know, once you get that, it's no, there's no going back. Addictive. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I really, I really hate to say what I thought you were going to say there. <laughs> what they had in common. <laughs> well, yeah, how you, how you started your careers, but. Oh God. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That's hilarious. I was like, <laughs> oh God, here we go. Here we go. Oh my God. That's amazing. My mind didn't even go there, but now I see why you and Jared are friends. But. <laughs> 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 You know, I feel like that that sort of stuff it helps. I mean, look when Jason puts up a podcast with Kim, who is one of the biggest. Like, look, uh, I'm skeptical of all celebrity. You know, even as someone who definitely, definitely leans into you know a career in entertainment, and I think that what Kim's doing with her voice is is great. You know, there's, uh, you know, if you can change someone's life, uh, no matter what your method is, and I know that. You know, obviously, um, been criticized for the relationship with with Donald and uh, the rest of it. I mean, look when you when you use your your voice for good, there I can't poke any holes in it. I think it's amazing that she's been able to you know follow that as a passion. Yeah, no, she and I have to say, my personal experience with her has been nothing but but positive yeah. um she she showed up to record the podcast on time no entourage no drama right, whatsoever she was focused she was attentive she's a, she's interested in learning um and she is um you know she's a, she's a tremendous um you know asset to these campaigns that we're doing we're we're in regular contact about this Julius Jones case in um Oklahoma that she's uh, jumped on board with, um, which is just really, really awful. It's, it's awful. It's like, the, the, you know, that case is so bad, Jared, because, you know, he was a guy, a student at, at um, Oklahoma, uh, University of Oklahoma, not a kid who had ever been in trouble. And his coach had asked, uh, I think it was his basketball coach, had mm -hmm. asked him to take another kid under his wing who was a troubled kid. Um, and he did. And this other kid ended up murdering somebody and planting the gun in his fucking house. Whoa. And as a result, Julius is, is, you know, and then he, the other kid told the cops exactly where to find it. And it gets worse and worse from there. But it's so awful because he was trying to do a good deed and he ends up getting, uh, you know, he ends up getting the death penalty for a crime everyone knows he didn't commit and everyone knows who did. And it's awful. That is so anyway, but, but yeah. 
So Kim is, Kim is, um, she's got all, you know, she, she makes time for this and, um, and she uses her platform and that's, you know, what, what else can you say? And, uh, you have a relation two other people in our world that, uh, you sort of connected with one is Jay Rosenswig. I know that you guys connected on a case. Um, I think he asked me to get in touch with you or and something else. What happened there? Cause there was something involving Nelson Mandela's lawyer and a, and a, and a very famous case. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, so the, um, the case was a fascinating case of a guy named Jens Zuring, which is J-E-N-S-S-O-E-R-I-N-G, Jens Zuring. Um, and by the way, the guy in Ohio who, who was sent back to death row, his name is Anthony Aponovich, A-P-O-N-O-V-I-T-C-H, Anthony Aponovich. What a horrible fucking story that is. Um, yeah. So... Um, Anyway, um, so with the Jens Zuring case, um, Jens was a guy who was um, um, an, an exchange student from Germany. Uh, he had what's called a Jefferson Scholarship at the University of Virginia, academic scholarship. And he arrived at college as an 18-year-old nerd, dweeb, you know, bookworm guy, never, never had... You know, he was a virgin and he met this, uh, this woman there who was two years older than him, also a student. And they had a torrid affair. We've seen all the crazy letters, which read like something out of a romance novel. Mm -hmm. And, um, along the way, he comes to discover that she's a, uh, a heroin addict and was, um, you know, he, he tolerated this because for the first time in his life, he had someone who was giving him romantic attention. And, um, she tells him along the way that her, for years, her mother had been having sex with her and that her father was either in on it or allowing it to go on. And long, long story as short as I can make it one day, she shows up and says, I killed my parents. And he, um, at first they weren't suspects, but when the cops started sniffing around, they ran away. In those days you could fly on a, you know, on an assumed name, um, cause this is in the eighties and, um, mid eighties and they ran around the world until they ran out of money. And then, um, ultimately they were caught in England passing bad checks and they found out where they were from. They called up Virginia and they found out they were wanted for a double murder. And um, ultimately, he confessed to the crime in this twisted attempt to save her life because he said he wasn't going to allow Virginia to execute the woman he was in love with. Wow. And then, you know, it's interesting. You know, he, he told me recently that if he had to do it again, he'd do it again. He goes, if there wasn't the death penalty, he goes, because he's so anti-death penalty, he said... Mm -hmm. There wasn't the death penalty. He would have. He said, "I would have just let her go." Like I was like, you know, I would be like, "Sorry, but, but I wasn't gonna let them execute um, this woman that I loved." So he confessed to the crime. And the, and and by the way, the crazy thing is, he confessed in England, thinking that because his father was a diplomat, that all they could do was ship him back to Germany, and he would serve, you know, five or ten years there, which is still insane. Yeah. But he was wrong. He didn't have immunity. His father did. So they shipped him back to Virginia. Huh. She testified against him. 
along the way, she told him that she had been having sex with numerous other guys the whole time. She wasn't in love with them. She's, she looks like a Manson girl. If you look up pictures of her, she looks like she's really looks, you know, she's a beautiful girl, but she looks crazy and she is crazy. So anyway, um, I got involved in that case a few years, a few years back, um, along with a, a, a really great team. And ultimately, uh, we were able to, convince the Virginia parole board to send him home with the governor's approval, um, back to Germany. There's a lot more to the story than that, but he served 33 years, seven months and four days. Wow. Um, for a crime he didn't commit. And, um, but now he's back in Germany and, and, um, and so Jay Rosenzweig, um, Jay, uh, brought Erwin Kotler, professor Erwin Kotler to meet me, er, Kotler was the lawyer for Nelson Mandela. Uh, Sharan, uh, um, what's his name? Um, Sharansky. I mean, all basically, Kotler's the guy I always say who, who, when I introduce him, I say this is a guy who goes to the most dangerous places on earth at the worst possible times to represent <laughs> people. And so he's, um, you know, he's seventy-nine years old now, but he got involved and he wrote a letter to the uh, governor of Virginia. And said, after investigating the case himself, he said, as the former attorney general and justice minister of Canada, I've reviewed countless cases of, wrong, of, of people who claim to be wrongfully convicted. And he said, this is the worst case I've ever seen. So anyway, Jens is home and uh, he is, uh, well, he's, he's living the dream over in Germany. He's living a great life. Um, I am being told by my uh, producer, Ashley, uh, who's... Uh, on uh, Zoom with us that we have about five minutes left. I want to wind this down um, because this is, uh, you know, for me, these are these are voyages into, you know, what makes people tick in these different occupations. I will say that you tied together the episode nicely because I take a very, very small assist in that one because I connected Jason and Jay together. So that was my one brush with uh, the world of, uh, you know, prison reform. And, you yeah, know, you've got experience, justice. man. You, you're... You know, you have a I'm getting some experience, but I've all, you know, just to, just to, you know, let you know why, um, you know, Jason's always been fascinating to me. This is someone who's not just like, you know, uh, walking the walk, talking the talk. He's walking the walk. Um, it's, it's, it's like anyone else that we've spoken to these world-class athletes, photographers, restaurateurs. It is a lifestyle for Jason. And almost like the way I was with Jingle Jared, people identify Jason as the prison reform guy and, you know, the wrongful conviction guy and his brand is who he is. And Jason, I think that, you know, that's the whole point of life in a great occupation is that it drives you to get up every single day in the morning. And, you know, how are you last thing we have like five minutes left. How are you able to still do this job? with everything going on in the world right now with the lockdown with quarantine what are your what's your routine like right now well right now i'm just um you know uh sort of like everybody else staying inside the house um and um working remotely and doing um you know all the things i usually do um you know music dividing my time between music and justice and um and of course my children's book lulu is a rhinoceros oh, yeah. and works on that as well at the podcast from here. I have a podcasting set up in the house now. Um, and, you know, we're doing all of that. And I want to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation because, you know, you started off by asking me um, what could, um, you know, what could you be doing? Um, you could do what I'm doing. And, and the answer is 100%. I mean, you are, 
you're still in take over the world mode. I mean, you've made your first fortune. I'm sure you're about to make your second one, and I'm going to help. <laughs> we're going to do this hero of the band thing together. We're going to knock it so far. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. So that being said, um, Jared, I mean, you have all the things that are necessary, you know, to be successful in whatever the fuck you do because you have the personality, everybody likes you, and you have, and you're, you're, you know, you're too crazy not to know what can't be done. So you just do it. And it's like, that's exactly what has to be the approach that has to be taken to tackling these intractable sociological and societal problems that we have, whether it's, you know, criminal justice reform or whatever. So, yeah, I can't wait to unleash you on a, on a broad scale. I actually, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I actually feel like this could be something that I really uh, could be more and more involved and attracted to as I get further in my career. I feel I've been very lucky and very, very fortunate to be able to make money at doing what, what I love doing. But I have felt like, you know, I've seen how, um, you know, your karma and all the other amazing things that have happened around you, I think is a result of just your, your spirit and, and how much you give back to other people. And I want to do more of that. Every time I get an email from you, it's never about, Hey, check out this new band. It's always about, Hey, uh, will you donate money? Will you be part of this cause? And, uh, just food for thought that, um, I, don't take that lightly. And I've, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today on this episode of uh, Occupational Therapy. And uh, anyone out there, go check out Jason's book, uh, Lulu. It's a children's book. It's amazing. Check out Hero the Band and check out Wrongful Conviction Podcast and everything that Jason does. He's an amazing person. Yeah, the book, uh, thanks, Jared. The book is Lulu is a Rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and of course, my Instagram is it's Jason Flom, I-T-S, Jason Flom. So uh, I love uh, your inspirational memes every morning. I'll drop, I'll drop some knowledge on you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Thanks a lot, Talk man. To Talk to you later. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Audio.